In Mark chapter 14, verse 38, it says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Today, we're getting in the spirit of a true quarantine and not getting dressed. This is day 18. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day 18 of the Journey Through Mark podcast. I'm here once again with Brendan and Melissa. Welcome back. How are you guys holding up? Hanging in there. That's good. Hanging in there. It's Holy Week. Exact words. (laughs) Sitting in here. So it's funny because it's Holy Week, but it's also like isolated Holy Week. You've got to like do it all by yourself. Mm. No church. Have you seen? It's all social media and watching streams. You've seen the memes with Jesus doing his Last Supper Zoom cast style. Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. You've seen. There's a pretty good meme up there. Yeah, it's like Da Vinci's Last Last Supper. Supper. Uh Did he? Is he the one who painted it? He's at a table by himself, and you can see the rest of the disciples. Yeah, and he Zoom calls all the disciples. It's good. And then he says, "We'll wait till everybody's here." to start. (laughs) Right, exactly. So something that's been happening to me more often than not is when I'm supposed to be working from home, I often end up just napping from home. Do you guys, I mean, maybe not now, but have you ever fallen asleep when you're supposed to be working like on the job, on the clock? Do you ever sleep when you're at work? So I was in high school and I had like a senior project job after school and I worked for a dentist office and I used to sit in this semi-lit room with files and I would just have stacks of files and I would just file them one after another after another. And it was just a very mundane job. And I remember I was filing and then next thing I know, someone comes in the door and my head, I literally had like laid on the filing cabinet and just fallen asleep <laughs> on top of all of these files. And someone was- Like the cold metal filing yes. cabinet. Maybe it was hot and you were like, oh, this feels like a cold <laughs> <Yeah>. pillow. <laughs> this and, is what I but want. But I don't remember anything until someone came in the room and literally was like, hey, can I get you- Oh, you're asleep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my can gosh. I get you coffee? Looks like, yes, I think you do need some coffee. Yeah. Yep. So I very, Brendan, what about yeah, you? Specifically remember that. I don't think I've ever like done that on accident, like over a bunch of files. <laughs> Just very intentionally. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, I get headaches a lot. And so every now and then, like, I'm just so inefficient working with headaches that I'll just make a decision. I'm going to take some Tylenol and go for it. Brendan, find, like, it's not a code word for you to call me headaches, okay? <laughs> I know you're inefficient when you work with me. You don't have to, like, demean me by calling me a that, headache <laughs> in code, all right? Every I know time that you're I'm talking about Tyler, it, but we've been through this. <laughs> but I've done this a few times in the church. I'll say that. I'm probably the same way. I usually am intentional about when I take my naps. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be napping at work, it's like, because I've been up late working on more work for work. <laughs> and so usually I'm intentional and I'm like, I'll just take a quick cat nap, just doze off for a few minutes and then come back. But when I was a lifeguard back when I was in college, I would hit some serious naps during that. And they were not intentional. You're just like in the sun. and Wait, sitting in the chair? There, you got the sunglasses on? No, 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 on. not in the chair. Like you're on break. Oh, you know? okay. You, okay. If you're on break, you just sit in the chair. And you, yeah, it's not what I'm supposed to. I I thought you were like, I have my sunglasses on. No one can even tell. (laughs) That's 
what yeah, I no. was thinking too. I was a very good lifeguard. I mean, I was terrified most of the day that somebody would die. Is really there's so many kids that would just jump in the pool. I was always afraid. So you were so. on alert, kind of like the disciples oh, yeah. were not. That's the thing about today's scripture. There's a lot that happens very quickly, a lot to go through. But one of the things that stuck out to me was the disciples are kind of sleeping on the job here when Jesus's moment of need, they're not really showing up. But Brendan, why don't you take us through our commentary and we'll dive into the rest of this stuff. Day 18, power through prayer. A recurring theme we've seen in the book of Mark has been Jesus's identity as the son of God. Story after story demonstrates that the God of Israel has now appeared as the person of Jesus. This theme rises to a crescendo in today's reading when Jesus makes his first public claim about his divinity. While Mark wants us to understand that Jesus was fully God, he also wants us to see that Jesus was also fully human. No story expresses his humanity more poignantly than the first episode we read today. Mark 14, 32-41 describes Jesus' raw moments of anguish as he waits with Peter, James, and John for his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here, Jesus is described as deeply distressed and troubled. He admits to being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Earlier, Jesus confidently told James and John that they would drink from a cup of suffering with him. Now in their presence, he falls to the ground and pleads God to take this cup from him. This is a degree of psychological distress that we are unaccustomed to seeing in Jesus. One reason why Mark might have included this vivid story could be that it shows us that Jesus had a full human experience. He suffered in every way, not just externally, but also internally. By enduring the onslaught of sin in all its forms, he became for us a perfect and sympathetic savior. Another reason why we might have this story is that Jesus shows us how to persevere when we suffer for following him. Jesus finds his inner resolve by praying to the Father three separate times. In contrast, Peter falls asleep three times instead of praying as Jesus asks, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. It's noteworthy that at the end of today's reading, Peter in his own time of temptation disowns Jesus three times. Jesus' example therefore illustrates the power we can receive from God through prayer. God may not always give us exactly what we want for ourselves, but if we turn to him, God offers the peace and power to persevere. For day 18, we're reading Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 72. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. 
but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another, not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do you need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy, and the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were also with that Nazarene, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you were talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I do not know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Melissa, how about you take us through our discussion questions for day 18? First question. Mark 14, 47 says, Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. This reaction reflects another misunderstanding about what Jesus was trying to accomplish as the Messiah. He wasn't leading a rebellion. He was establishing a fundamentally different type of kingdom. This raises the question for us, is it ever appropriate for us to strike at someone like this? Why? Second question, how did Jesus's prayers in the garden help nuance his earlier teaching? Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In what situation do you need to echo Jesus's words? Not what I will, but what you will. Hey, Brendan, when you get scared, have you ever taken your clothes off and run away naked? <laughs> because that's what this guy does. It's very confusing. I mean, he is full quarantine, like <laughs> no shame, not wearing well, he's any not clothes. not quarantined. He is free. He's about to be. He's running away to he's be quarantined. He's avoiding being quarantined is what he's doing. <laughs> this is very confusing. What is going on? 
Just to read it again is Mark 14, 51 and 52. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. What I think is interesting about this, I mean, other than the fact that you have a guy again running around naked, you actually don't see this in the other synoptic gospels. We call them synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are gospels that have a lot of similarities. We've talked about this before, this idea that Mark is generally understood to be the first gospel and Matthew and Luke then used Mark as a source. What's fascinating is in those two gospels, you actually don't have this little snippet. They don't talk about this guy running around naked. So it's raised a lot of questions. Who is it? What's going on? on here. And one sort of popular traditional interpretation of this is this is actually Mark himself sort of seeing himself Mm. in the story of Jesus. And you think about the whole story of the book of Mark. Throughout this gospel, Jesus has called people to follow him. He talks about leaving everything behind, what it looks like to become a disciple is to pick up your cross and follow me. And here's a guy who he starts on that path. He's following him. But when he's faced with the hour of decision, an hour of temptation where he can choose to continue to follow Jesus through the tough times or to flee, he drops everything he has. He decides to go straight and he decides to go. That's streaking. what he does. <laughs> this is what Mark chose to like leave of himself in this, this book. Could be. He's just like, well, I got to make sure I put this part where I, I went streaking that's when right. Jesus got captured. <laughs> you could read it that way. I mean, we aren't really certain. We don't know for sure, but that's like a popular view and I'm sympathetic to it. And again, what I love about this is no one comes out of this book looking good except for Jesus. So really what Mark is doing here is just saying that like, look, even me, I wrote this book. Even I kind of lost my frame of mind and started running around like a crazy person when this happened because nobody can deal with this like Jesus can. Mm -hmm. So this happens at the Mount of Olives in this place called Gethsemane. And this place is something that it feels like they've been going to Jerusalem and then coming back to this and then going to Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and coming back to this. What exactly is this place? Why do they keep coming back here? And why is this where Jesus prays? The Mount of Olives has a long history. It was the main place where people would sort of enter the city from the east. This is how you came into the city. And there is a tradition associated with the Mount of Olives as being the place where the Messiah would come from when he returned. Now, he goes to this place, specifically Gethsemane, I think, because it's kind of a remote place. Jerusalem, this is Passover season. There's estimates that there's like maybe a quarter million people here at this time of year, which is several times greater than the city is at its normal population level at this time period. Jews from everywhere are coming to town to celebrate the Passover. And if you remember back to the very first chapter in the book of Mark, Jesus is, even though he's taught the crowds, he's embraced being among the crowds, he's done miracles for the crowds. He's always had to have moments where he needed to get away and be with the father. So he could have the strength to press on and do the next. He's kind of an introvert. He's kind of, he's, he needs the introvert he, time to He might be. So recuperate. introverts, yeah, <laughs> you might be a lot like Jesus. So he goes to Gethsemane, goes to this place and it's a place where he prays. And what I find so fascinating about this story is he asked the disciples there to stay awake, to sort of keep guard, watch, pay attention to what's going to happen. And while he prays and finds the strength to experience what comes next, they don't have it. He's talked a lot about this cup he's going to drink. Remember the beginning of chapter 14, he has this last supper with his disciples where he offers them the cup and says, this cup represents my blood, which is going to be poured out for you. Now he's about to drink that cup and he recognizes how crazy severe this is going to be, how difficult this is going to be for him. And so he prays for strength. And what I find so fascinating about this story is that while he finds strength in his hour of suffering, you actually have these other guys, these disciples who throughout the whole book of Mark, they fail yet again. Well, to be fair, 
I've needed a nap here and there. <laughs> and it seems like a peaceful place. It's a garden. Yep. And it's nighttime. There's olives around. It sounds like a dream in itself, yeah. you know? It sounds like a great place for a nap. It's a pretty place. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, I mean, there are a couple places that traditionally are associated with this garden. We don't know for sure exactly where it was on the Mount of Olives, but they're beautiful. They got nice olive trees there and architecture and pretty churches and things like that. But it does seem like they kind of missed an opportunity to do what Jesus kind of needed them to do yeah. right here. Exactly. They can't stay awake. And it might be because it's late. We don't know exactly what time it is, but we know in the next story that you hear a rooster crowing a couple times. And so that could be the middle of the night, but it could also be like, you know, early morning. And so this is a lot later maybe than they're used to staying up. But I think is so fascinating is that like this corresponds exactly with the picture we've had of the disciples throughout the whole book. These are guys who have come across as being blind, right? We've talked about those who can see and those who can't see, those who are spiritually seen and those who are spiritually blind. And here they are in a moment where they should be standing up for Jesus, watching out for him. They have their eyes closed. They're blind in a sense. So it's a symbolic sort of story that talks again how they've again let down their Messiah. You see it in the scripture too. Like when he finishes up, he goes, and look, here they are. Why don't you rise up? Like after that last time where they've fallen asleep, yep. he's like, enough, the hour's come. Yep. They're right here. Like you missed it. You could have been watching out for me, but exactly, no, they're ready to take me. And that was the third time that he's come back. And that number three, we've seen that number three yeah. actually several times throughout the whole book and we'll see it many more times. But what stands out to me is at the end of today's reading, Peter denies Jesus three times. And here in this story, he fails Jesus three times. Jesus mm. goes to pray. He comes back, says, why aren't you awake? Why aren't you praying? Why don't you stay up and find the strength you need to avoid your hour of temptation? And he doesn't do it. And then when his own hour of temptation comes, when he stands his own trial, you might say, in front of these people who are accusing him of being a follower of Jesus, he doesn't have the resolve to press on. You know, what's kind of cool about this moment is there's not a lot of moments in the book of Mark where you really see Jesus as a human. Yep. He's usually like this almost ghost-like figure that sort of rises above anything that he meets and stuff. But this is a moment where he is in real emotional distress mm -hmm. and really shows his humanity. And he asks his disciples to do something for him. And then he goes and he prays and shows his real distress too. And he's pleading with God to take this task from him. I don't know. I empathize with this moment a lot. There's a lot of stuff that we all go through that we are like, hey, can we not do this, mm -hmm. God? This hmm. sounds hard or this seems really difficult or like, listen, you are pointing me in this direction and I would like to go this way. But how does this scene really like for you guys, how does it change and shape how you view Jesus and like suffering, but also how we pray? How do we talk to God? I think in this moment when you see Jesus just really struggling with this decision that he's having to make, and you see it's affecting him physically, internally, in all ways, and it really helps you to understand the humanity of Jesus and that he has gone through everything that we are ever going to face or feel here on this earth, that there's nothing that we're going to face that Jesus hasn't already gone through. And so there's something about that that's just comforting to know that if Jesus suffered like this, that he knows exactly what I'm walking through and I'm not alone 
known in it. And then I think the second thing there is that Jesus is the son of God, yet he still takes time to get away with the father. And I think, how much more do I need to spend in prayer? How much more do I need to get away with the father? Because, I mean, Jesus is God. Jesus is the son of God. It's just like in my humanity, how much more do I need to get away with the father to actually work through suffering and pain and things that I'm really processing, which I find myself doing a lot these days because I realize I'm by myself. And so I find myself just talking to God and asking him to help me through these situations. Every story we read in the book, I'm always asking, like, why is this story here? Like, what's the purpose of this specific story? Because this book could be so much bigger. When you think of, like, three years of ministry and all the things Jesus did and said and taught, even if you just take those three years of Jesus' life, which is what Mark does— Again, it would cover so much more than 16 chapters. So why does he choose the stories he does here? And as I think about the situation of the original readers, if it was written for a Roman audience in the 60s, well, this is a time when they're experiencing intense persecution, trying to figure out how do I continue to proclaim my allegiance to Christ in a Mm -hmm. city where I have a crazy emperor who demands that I call him the true son of God. And if I don't do that, then I'm going to be killed. And I think stories like this that we see throughout the entire book of Mark are intended to encourage them to show how you can find the strength to persevere, how you get through scary mm-hmm. situations. And a lot like the scary situation we're facing right now. Again, it's not exactly like they were facing in Rome in the first century, but this is a scary time for us as Christians living in a world where we don't know when we're going to be out of quarantine. We don't know when there's going to be a vaccine. And so how do we continue to profess allegiance to Christ? How do we continue to have confidence in him when we're facing fears like this. And I think this story is just one model of how we can do it. It's by going to him in prayer and admitting, you know what, there's a lot of things I want. Jesus prayed very clearly, God, here is what I want. You know, Here's number three again. He predicted three times exactly what's going to happen to him. He knew exactly what his mission was. And yet when the moment came for him to go to the cross, he wasn't sure he wanted to drink that cup, but he found the strength to press on by turning to God. And so I think that's a model for for us. Like when we have these moments of weakness, moments of despair and doubt and uncertainty, that's what we need to do too. My takeaway from this was kind of interesting is that Jesus is asking God to take this task from him. He really does not want to do what he has to do here. Yeah. And that's another really human piece. It's so often that what God is asking us to do, we don't want to do, or it's like too difficult, or like we know how painful it's going to be, and we just don't want to. That is really difficult. And you would expect God's son, you'd expect him to have some compassion or sympathy on him. But it really is a moment where you go, part of being human is going through difficult stuff, even if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. And like you will expect God to like take this from you, Mm -hmm. but that's not how it always works. Sometimes you're going to have to go through really difficult and painful experiences. And you see it in the prayer that Jesus prays and he says, not what I will, but you will. And that's kind of how we all have to approach our lives. But I'm curious, have you guys ever had to pray that prayer knowing that what you're going to have to do is going to be difficult? And how did that prayer experience affect you going forward? I mean, I can go first. Like, my thing is, I didn't think that I'd be working for a church straight 
up on us. I thought I'd be doing something in the media field or like advertising or marketing or something like in a production company or move to LA or something like that. I thought I'd be in a different sort of creative field. And it turns out my whole life has been building towards working in ministry for right now. And that's where I am. And I'm going to continue to keep doing that as long as that's God's will. And that's really difficult. And the people who feel it the most are often the people closest to you. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult life to live working in ministry when you don't have all the benefits of working in a startup type of environment, but you have all the workload and all the pressure and all the stress. And so for me, that's my prayer like every day is like, not my will, but your will. And I think the second half of that question, how does it shape you? For me, I've become a better person as I've been doing this work. And I've become someone I like better and someone that is much more comfortable in what I'm doing. And I've found friends along the way. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I wouldn't have changed any of it. Even though when I was looking ahead, I was like, this is the last thing I want to do. I've already tried this a couple of times and I can't do it anymore. But every day I keep going in and I learn something new and it makes it a little bit more real. And I think that's what Holy Week is about, right? Trying to figure out in your life, what are the things that God is asking you to do that you don't want to do, but he's calling you to anyways. And it's going to be difficult, but sometimes going through that journey is what's going to make you equipped for what's ahead. I don't have an experience really like Jesus. I can't claim to have had any sort of moment like that of deep anguish, but I have had, you know, moments where I want to take path A for my life. And oftentimes the weird part of my story is I feel like a lot of those things I wanted were things that I thought I wanted for the sake of God, if that makes sense. When I went to college, what I wanted to do was be a worship leader and I wanted to kind of be their rock star. I wanted to, you know, (laughs) and I quickly learned I'm not that good. There's a lot of people who are way better than me musically, but you know, there are just moments in my life where it's like, here's the path I would have laid out for myself. And then I feel like God just keeps nudging or changing things for me, closing and opening doors. And I've had these very distinct moments where I've had to go out in nature in a quiet place. I have memories of walking down a gravel road by my place once and just like shouting at God. That's and, very worship leader of yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> you were on the train This is when I was giving up that. Shouting at God. <laughs> but th- And those were the lyrics to your first exactly. song, right? <laughs> but I have these moments where it's, I'm out in a remote place and I just need to connect with God and realize that I can pray to him and bring my request to him. That's what the book of Mark has been teaching us. But that doesn't mean that what I will is what God wills. And Mm. part of becoming a holy, devoted follower of Jesus Christ looks like having our will conform more and more to the will of God because he has a perfect and pleasing will that knows what's ultimately best. And so the more and more I can try to become in tune with his heart, with his desires, his purposes for my life, things are going to go better for me and for others. And I think that's the thing with Jesus. You know, Jesus, he went through a hard thing, but we can all be thankful that he did it because it was through the cross that now we have this upside down type of kingdom that we are all invited to, to become participants in. And we're going to have hard things we're going to have to go through too, if we want to be faithful citizens of that kingdom, but it's something that's better for the entire world. And so are we willing to be faithful to get in line with God's will? Are we going to continue pursuing our will? That's how it's shaped to me, I would say. 
Yeah, and you see what's about to go down with the trial, and you see it in front of the teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin. We'll get into what that looks like and what is the trials that Jesus is going to go through a little bit more tomorrow. But that's the real thing that we have to leave today on is this idea of what is God asking you to go through for the sake of his kingdom Mm -hmm. and for the sake of where you need to be to serve the kingdom best. And it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.